Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Bela Co. Crumpeture. He is a founder of Anyway Records, is the author of three graphic comics, and is a contributor to the award-winning book, Malls Across America. His new book is Love, Death, and Photosynthesis, which is published by our friends at Don Giovanni Records. Bela, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. And um, thank yeah. you for being so generous with your time. Oh, thank you, Bela. It's an honor to have you here. Um, and Bela, my first question for you before we dive into this excellent memoir is, how have you been doing this last year and a half or so beyond the normal everyday challenges of the pandemic? How has this uh, these last several months been uh, for your corner of the world in the music business? Um, it's been... It's been interesting. It's been very busy. I I have a I have a full time job um, as a social worker. I run a program, a substance abuse program for LGBTQ folks, and then I also teach at Ohio State. So I, I kind of have two full time jobs, and I have teenage kids, and sort of all that, and in our relationship with all those you know complications, um, you know, I, COVID has been interesting in the sense where my world as it's gotten smaller in some ways it's gotten larger um like i really enjoy walking now um you know i take two pretty long walks a day and i go to the gym so a lot of time with music and things um but also you know there's some bouts of depression i think some of us have mm -hmm. um I, I realize that maybe I'm not as social as I used to be or ever was. So, um, but it's, it, there's the frustration, right? Of like watching the news and, you know, um, lunkheads, not, you know, not taking care of other people or watching out of other people. Um, to be perfectly honest, 2021, I don't wake up with this sort of anger anxiety that i did for the previous four years um mm. so yeah I, well yeah yeah thank you uh Bela. and that's great that you teach at ohio state i've got to get up there sometime because uh my friend uh the writer william volman his archives are in ohio state's library i believe and um i'd really like to get up there to check those out and that um, library is incredible by the way we just yeah i've been went uh -huh. We just went last week and it was insane. It was yeah. just like crazy. Um, and uh, my partner was, she was really freaking out over some of the stuff. So, um, yeah, I was there when it was brand new. And um, as you state, it was amazing. Uh, speaking about Ohio, um, I want to ask you about Ohio. Your book is blurbed by our friend Hanif Abdurraqib, and it seems to me uh, like the creative culture in Ohio has blown up lately over these last few years. Um, and maybe it has always been this way, but from my perspective as a person who has never lived in Ohio, the scene around Columbus specifically, especially for writers, has taken off. Uh, what's going on up there in, in Ohio and what do you attribute this creative boom to? Um, well, you, you know, Hanif is from here. Um, 
and Maggie Smith is from here. Mm-hmm. And Saeed just moved here. I think mm-hmm. I think there were some things about Columbus that really attracted him. One is Columbus is is fairly inexpensive, although it's getting worse mm-hmm. uh, with the rents. Um, you know, we are we're a big city, but we're actually, you know, a college town, much like, you know, Chapel Hill, Raleigh. Um, we have a lot of universities here. So we, we, while we're a big city, we have a a pretty large intellectual community. Um, Mm -hmm. we are at this point, a very blue liberal city inside of a red state. So I, I think that makes it attractive. There's, um, actually a, a short little chapter in the book about Ohio and growing up in, in Ohio. It's, um, we're, we're quiet <laughs> and mm. where I think if you're from Ohio, especially like Cleveland, um, more so than maybe some of the other cities, but I think we are relate, you know, we're, we're kind of underdogs and I, I think there's sort of a puppy dog attraction to us as, as a state. Mm. And since we're not, you know, uh, either on, you know, on any coast or even like Atlanta or something that, uh, we can just sort of cook ourselves, like ferment ourselves, if that makes any sense. There's very little expectations when you live in Ohio. So I don't know if that helps a creative process. Yeah, and uh, a lot of what you said about Columbus sounds very familiar to our situation here in Raleigh, although we've gone from being relatively affordable to very unaffordable uh, in the last year, year and a half, I think, as uh, rents and real estate have risen dramatically. Um, For our listeners, Bela, who are unfamiliar, can you tell us how you came to found a record label, Anyway Records? Um. That time, which was, it was founded in 91 or 92, uh, obviously pre-internet, but that's the DIY mentality made a lot of things really, really possible. The the source of the label actually came out of a breakup that I wanted to do something that to occupy my time. It was fairly inexpensive to press a record. I worked at a record store. I was the buyer at a record store. So I knew all these distributors. Uh, I worked with a lot of musicians who uh, were very active in the underground scene, like putting records out on Homestead Records and things like that. So it just sort of came out of that. I just knew people that I really admired who were putting out records. There wasn't any sort of... um, again, expectation with the label. And probably because of, of, I'm not very organized and I'm not a very good cheerleader or, and I never had any money. The label has never been financially successful, but um, you know, we we have our fans out there in the music world. um, And we've been able, and I say we, because it really is sort of a collective, You know, we've worked with a lot of very, very talented people from, you know, Guided by Voices and Chuck Cleaver from the Ass Ponies and the New Bomb Turks to recent, you know, recenter bands like St. Lennox and Connections. So, but I feel, um, again, like we're, it's mostly Ohio and Columbus folks that we Mm -hmm. work with and um, 
my intention for doing the label was one being able to listen to a band I like on my own turntable, a little geekiness, but also because I think it's vital um, that this music is heard. And when you live in a, in sort of ignored place, um, somebody with a passion has to sort of fill that gap as, as you probably realize as a bookstore owner, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I manage the bookstore. Um, We have a different owner, but um, absolutely. And the same, I, you know, with, we have many publishers in North Carolina that have popped up to fill those voids. And in my opinion, that's where I read uh, the best stuff. And I know that that works similarly Mm -hmm. Uh, and the record industry like real estate has the price of pressing a record changed much since you started a label. Oh yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, I hate to say it, but the vinyl resurgence in record store day has really damaged smaller labels and smaller bands that I we're getting, um, we're, we're doing a Jenny May, um, record of unreleased stuff and singles and it's it's six months so mm-hmm. and she's dead so like we can take our time with it mm-hmm. but you for for active indie bands who are on smaller labels and and i would even think you know bands on merge six months is a lifetime um mm-hmm. you know you're planning tours six seven months in advance and if you don't have product to sell so the mm-hmm. idea that there's you know, kiss or space hoggery issues clogging up bends. And I, and I don't want to denigrate fans of those bands or, or, you know, that sort of mainstream music, but vinyl has been the lifeline for the independent scene um, yeah. since its inception. And it's mm-hmm. getting clogged and it's damaging. Whereas if you're not involved in it, it's, um, it, people may think, oh, vinyl's back, vinyl's back, but there's only a set number of record plants in, in the country. So, um, and it's expensive. It's a lot more expensive. It is, and while the, the while money um, has always played a role, it is virtually impossible for a label such as mine, or, or I even think um, smaller or mid-level labels to make money off most records because because you can't nobody can sustain on streams so um yeah absolutely and um nor do most uh indie bands who are starting out want to have to sell their records for like 40 bucks i'm sure um and we'll return to um, this kind of line of questioning later after the break. But first, I want to ask you uh, about your publisher, the publisher for this excellent memoir, Love, Death, and Photosynthesis, uh, Don Giovanni Records. Um, are you involved with them, or how did your memoir find its way to them, and who are they? Um, so Don Giovanni is a label out of New Jersey and Philadelphia, um, Joe Steinhardt is the owner and he it's a fairly successful label. He is a professor at Drexel University. Um, it's been around for a really long time. They've put out uh, their newest releases, um, the Laura Stevenson record, and they put out Screaming Females and Vacation. And um, But he's also pressed 
um, or published a number of books too. Uh, and I came across Joe, I was introduced to him by actually an event that $2 radio, you know, our local, um, star publishing house, mm -hmm. um, they put a festival on and, uh, I was there and Joe was there and he introduced himself. I had a, I, the book came out of a blog I started around 2009. That's been fairly popular um, in the indie rock underground, I guess. And so Joe was like, Hey, I'm, I'm a big fan had suggest had offered at that time. It's probably 2015 or so when I met him, he's like, if you ever want to do a book, I'd love to do a book. And I had too much going on at the time. I was extremely flattered, obviously. Um, and it wasn't until Jenny May died, he literally like called me up like three days later and said, now it's time to do the book. Like there's, there's a set ending here. Um, and so we just, it took a couple of years for it to come together basically because I have other things going on in my life. Um, obviously I don't make money from being an author. So, um, there was a, there was a couple other small publishers that came up while this book was being made. Um, but I felt very good, um, with Don Giovanni and Joe is very patient. So it's, um, it's been fun. It's been kind of scary as well too. So mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you, Bela. And of course, our listeners are familiar with uh, $2 Radio as we featured many of their authors and hosted many of them at the North Carolina Book Festival also. Um, well, listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Bela Co. Crumpeter. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Bela Co. Crumpeture, author of Love, Death, and Photosynthesis, which is published by our friends at Don Giovanni Records. Bela, this book, this excellent book, is largely concerned with uh, your relationships first with Jenny Mae Leffel. Is that the correct pronunciation of her name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you tell our listeners how your relationship with Jenny started and what it turned into? Um, Jenny was a musician from rural Ohio, and we met in high school. Um, I had moved there when I was 14 um, from Athens, Ohio, which, where, which is a college town. Um, mm -hmm. You're probably familiar with it. So it was sort of a culture shock for me. 
I was very much a music nerd. I mean, we didn't really have clicks. It was like you were either a farmer um, or you worked at Navistar um, International Harvester, it was called at the time, or um, you were like me, like the son of a, of a minister. <laughs> um, so it was fairly small and she was sort of the most popular girl in the school, like really funny. She was pretty. She was in National Honor Society, played in the band, mm -hmm. um, kind of rascally. She, you know, she played a lot of um, practical jokes, but um, we started dating my senior year and we went out for about two or like probably two or three years. Like we went off to college together. Mm -hmm. um, we both dropped out. Uh, of college and um, she had always sort of made these songs in her basement, very much like Daniel Johnston sort of, um, just mm -hmm. for herself and um, unbeknownst to many of us and I think herself that she also suffered um, from schizoaffective disorder, which is like a somewhat like a cross between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. She would get very manic, but she also heard voices, um, had hallucinations, and she developed a pretty severe alcohol problem throughout her life. At mm -hmm. times there were some, some drug issues too. Um, and eventually both of those things killed her. So, so um, she, she was someone who was fairly, very active in the Columbus music scene. Although within that scene, she was very much an outsider as well too. Mm -hmm. um, so um, yeah, that's, that's how, her, her life. I think, which, which I try to capture in the book was, was tragic. Mm -hmm. um, she was ex incredibly funny, incredibly smart, um, but she ended up homeless for a yeah. while um, because of her illnesses. Yeah, and Bailey, you write about her uh, very beautifully, and she really does come alive um, in this book. Uh, thank you. And you mentioned um, Daniel Johnston, and as we're in a bookstore here, I have to put in a plug for Scott McClanahan's excellent graphic novel about Daniel Johnston. Yeah, um, and his other books, right? The Sarah book. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, the Sarah book was amazing. We had him here um, for the North Carolina Book Festival a couple of years ago, and he was in conversation with Jeff Jackson about the Sarah book. And it was, he had like the whole crowd just rolling on the floor the whole time. He's just a strange and amazing person to listen to. Um, yeah, I've always told people don't read Hillbilly Elegy, read um, Crapalacha, because that really captures. Um, you know, yeah. rural Appalachia better than, than, yeah, anything that the fastest could write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And um, listeners, there's a really um, surreal episode of this podcast with Scott um, available in the archives where he talks about like Beckley, West Virginia and, and Go Mart and things of that nature. It's really great. Um, well, getting back into your book, uh, Bela, I want to talk about now uh jerry wick lead singer for the band gaunt i see a poster uh for sebado and gaunt behind your head there um as we are speaking on video um i love sebado i love lou barlow i love dinosaur jr um for our listeners who are unfamiliar who is gaunt who is jerry and what sort of path did meeting jerry lead you down um 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that flyer real quick. So I, when I was booking shows, I would hand paint a lot of flyers. Mm-hmm. And so that one is actually like the original hand painted flyer. And I just donated a lot of my archives to the OSU Rare Manuscript Library. And that is one of the ones I kept. Um, and I just recently had it framed. Um, Wonderful. Hopefully my kids will appreciate it one day. Jerry was, um, he was, he was actually his, his sort of like name, his nickname was, was Jerry's an asshole. He was very curmudgeon-y from Parma, Ohio, very working class suburb of Cleveland. Um, He, uh, what, he actually played violin, which people don't, realize he was a a sort of a prodigy and when he he went off to college to Kent State it was for music for for violin but he grew up um he was a year older than me but that was you know high school junior high for him he was listening to the dead boys and perubu and the mice and just a super fertile scene and you know Cleveland is is quite the industrial city. So Jerry was a little bit gritty, um, hilarious, very, very funny. And I had met him at a bar called Larry's actually with Jenny. Um, I think that story is in the book. Um, He would, um, if he could ruin your buzz, (laughs) he would take that effort to do it. for his own kicks. So he's, he, I think every scene has somebody like that, but he was very charming and very funny. And Gaunt was, uh, I hate to, you know, punk rock from Ohio is, is weird. It's not like West Coast punk or New York punk. It is, a lot of it is really sort of based in um, almost a classic rock kind of thing and glam rock. So when, when I say punk, it's, you know, it's not like, it's not like Epitaph Records punk or even early, like it's, I guess it's akin sort of to the Ramones, but it's very different in a way too. Some of it is extremely literate, you know, Perubu and Devo were very literate art, arty bands. So Gaunt was sort of like that too. Um, pretty basic though loud guitars um a lot of nihilism i guess (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh yeah yeah great and um thanks for telling me about um your stuff being at the ohio state libraries now i have two reasons uh to visit that library again um and and i will because i do need to get up to to columbus um Nirvana, specifically their album Nevermind, uh, is a cultural touchstone, especially for those of us who lived through uh, those years in the late 80s and early to mid 1990s when grunge was at the forefront of the musical revolution. Much has been said about Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nevermind, uh, the dethroning of Michael Jackson from the top of the Billboard charts, etc. But your revelation, your musical revelation occurred with and around one of Nirvana's immediate predecessors, and that band was Mudhoney, uh, and their front person, Mark Arm. You specifically mentioned their single, Touch Me, I'm Sick. Uh, for our listeners who haven't yet read your book, can you talk to us about Mark Arm, Mudhoney, 
and what it was like at this moment of time to hear a song like Touch Me, I'm Sick for the first time? Um, I, I mean, I heard it when it came out. So um, the Mudhoney guys are a little bit older than me, probably around five years. Uh, they, which when you're 19, 20 years old, it kind of seems like old. Um, mm -hmm. And I heard it at Use Kids, the record store I worked at, but I heard it prior to working there. Mm. And there was there was something very gleeful about it, about, I mean, gleeful and funny and self-deprecating, which I totally um, was attracted to. Very stooges, I, I guess. Um, but coming out of... 80s um, hair rock and Phil Collins and Whitney Houston and all of that sort of shiny overproduced stuff. And when you were in high school, you, you know, you, you could gravitate if you were lucky enough to hear the replacements and REM and all of that sort of stuff um, was very revolutionary and to, to my ears, but to hear something that rocked as hard as mud honey and did not take itself seriously, but not jokey like the dead milkman or, or, or whatever. Does that make sense? Um, mm -hmm. It just connected dots for me that I didn't even know were there. Mm. Uh, and the fact that because of the scene that it was, everybody was very approachable. Um, it was, there was no hierarchy. And I, I think that song allowed me and, and perhaps some other people um, to really get rid of whatever that hierarchy was um, as a listener and as a fan of music. And as somebody who has always sort of folded myself into the comforts of music to, um, I, I don't want to say escape, but to f to bomb myself a little bit. If mm -hmm. that's what if I if I can say it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And it's been a minute since I've thought about uh, the dead milkman. So thanks for resurfacing that memory. Smoking banana peels. Um, I want to talk about the formatting of this mm -hmm. book, Bela. Uh, your story is not told linearly. It jumps back and forth in time with every chapter. And I found this formatting to work fantastically. Uh, what was behind your decision to tell your story in this way rather than linearly from beginning to end? Um, well, I, I'm glad you used the word linear because mm -hmm. when people ask me about it, that's the word I use. Mm -hmm. One is uh, for me, and I think for everybody, memory isn't linear. Emotions mm -hmm. are not linear. Time is. And so we're, we're stuck in this construct of time, but the way we respond to it emotionally um, and when we're thinking about something is, is not linear. So when I write and because I don't do this for a living, I can write like whatever I want to write about at that moment. So I'm usually conscious of whatever I'm feeling and I write very much around my feelings, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. um, I just, 
I've always written a little bit of fiction, but I'm really trying to write some now and approach it that same way, not just telling a story, but telling the emotions around the story. So when, when I wrote it, which took years to write, um, with really, without the intention of, of writing a book, when I sent it off to the editor, she literally said, she called me up and she's like, what the fuck is this? Like, this, this is not going to work. Uh, and then I just said, well, sit with it if you can. And then she called me back the next day and had read about a quarter of it and said, oh, this works perfectly. This makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, mm. And because I wanted to tell their story, I didn't want it to be a tragedy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I wanted to capture everything about my friends and what I experienced um, as I have, as I felt it, if that mm. makes sense. I hope it does. It does. And I agree um, with the revelation that your editor had. It works really great. And I found, you know, for, for Jenny, for example, it gave me like an entire perspective of who she was the whole way through, because first she's a romantic interest and then she's homeless. And then she's kind of playing music to you in her basement for the first time. And then she's in like a divey uh, cocaine bar. Um, and it's, you know, just this whole um, picture of, of her and her character um, throughout the book. I just thought it was a fantastic way to tell the story. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Bela. And finally, um, I told you we would return to this. And um, I do want to ask you more about your uh, perception of the current state of the music industry. Uh, part of what makes your memoir a particularly mesmerizing read for me is that I recognize uh, some parts of myself in your story, music is one of the great loves of my life, record stores especially, uh, for a while. It looked like record stores may be going away, uh, due first to Napster and then LimeWire and then Torrents and Pirate Bay, Spotify, Apple Music, on and on as we progress through time. Uh, but now we are in this place where vinyl sales are at an all-time high, uh, even looking back to when vinyl was the main medium for music. Cassettes are coming back. One can only assume uh, a CD renaissance is in the works. Um, and this is a two-part question to end this interview. Uh, one, is it possible for people to live this type of life now in 2021 through a record store, through employment in a record store specifically? And two, what is your opinion on the current state of the music industry? Um, one, I, I, I don't want to sound nostalgic or any sort of... Um, of it was better back then. So um, I, I hope I don't sound that way because I think for all of us who survive, right? When we get to be old, that, that particular time in our early adulthood is special. You, you know, if, if you don't have to go off and work um, like in a factory or, or, or something like that. Those of us who are, we're fortunate not to have kids, not, not um, insulting anybody who had kids right out of high school or, or whatever. 
but mm-hmm. that there's a freedom there was a freedom there which i think people still you know people i don't think i know they still experience but in different environments Um, I don't think that the way record stores worked all the way up until 2000, 2004 is ever going to be replicated because that's not how people access music. Record stores at a time were, uh, if you were fortunate to have a good record store, that's where you got turned on to new music unless you were getting zines or spin magazine, whatnot. That's where you heard it or college radio. Um, if you didn't have those things, you were kind of like shit out of luck in acquiring things. And, and unless you were exposed to these things somehow, like if you lived in the middle of Iowa, um, I was fortunate, you know, living in rural Ohio, there was a college radio station. I would go to Athens and there was, you know, there was Columbus. So I could hear things and you could trust that record store um, you know, man or woman was usually men, um, mm. unfortunately, but you could trust that person to recommend something. Um, mm. And if it sold zines and things like that, it was that DIY mentality was there. And there's a camaraderie there that my kids listen to music all day long, like I do, but they're, they don't listen to vinyl. I mean, I still listen to it. That's the medium I enjoy. Uh, but in my car, of course, I stream at the gym, I stream, um, you can make like mixtapes or whatever, like playlists on Spotify, but it's not the same thing. Um, because you're just carrying it over. You're not experiencing putting the record on the needle. You may get half halfway through a song. You're like, ah, fuck this. This isn't a good one. So, and I suppose in some ways, um, bookstores have not lost that because you can go to a bookstore and you're going to trust the worker there because it takes a special love to work in a record store a comic book store or a bookstore to devote your life because obviously there's no money in it but being Mm -hmm. around the things that touch you and being able to share that I think is so 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 important but I don't think the way that you and I experience that is going to be replicated, even though, like I said, you know, vi- you know, like you mentioned, and, and I agree, vinyl is back, but it's only back more as a vanity um, mm-hmm. experience. I still go to, to my local record stores, but I usually buy direct from labels. And mm-hmm. like I'm on a geeky, closed facebook group where it's filled with old old guys like me um in the underground scene where we just play records and we post what we're playing and that's how i hear a lot about music you know like uh bill and lisa from trouble in mind are on this thing so i can i can figure out what they're listening to and it's like oh okay i'll buy that um so i there's other methods but that's not how my my kids listen to it. It was interesting. The other day, my son said, dad, I have the song I want to hear. He's 13. And he played, um, my bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't, he, to him, they were a new band. Right. And, um, 
like he he doesn't like know my own personal experiences with with my bloody valentine and i had to like really refrain from being cool dad because there's no Mm. way i'm going to be cool to him um Mm. and you know i i drove him the other day to the doctor's office he's like can i play a song and he played a litigra song um Mm. not even knowing again that Mm the history of Latigra in his mind they're new because he he just discovered them on his own um mm. through how you know spotify playlists or 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 whatever it is um mm-hmm. which which i think is cool um mm-hmm. but uh, nobody's getting paid for that <laughs> right so. Yeah, and just wait until he uh, traces that Latigra uh, back to Bikini Kill, etc. Um, and um, you know, I I think that uh, bookstores, like you said, have skirted around that a little bit. There was a moment in the early two thousands when, you know, when the Long Tail was written and all of this stuff was happening in bookstores where we thought ebooks may uh, take over just like you know um, mp3s at the time had with music but it, it just never really happened i mean it happened for some um industries like romance novels for example mm-hmm. where people are downloading them because they can ride the subway and no one knows what they're reading um <laughs> but it it just as the industry of a whole knock on wood it never happened for but for records um i like you i think i think I love the format of the album of a complete work of art from beginning to end and the experience, um, the physical experience of putting a record on, you know, having to get up to walk across the room to flip it over, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. There's still a lot of value in that, I think. Um, well, thank you, Bela. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. I'm so happy uh, that Molly turned me on to it. I learned so much about you and I was reminded of the romanticization of record stores and discovering music that you can fall in love with and that can fuel your life. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, we already have several people in our store um, interested and ready to read your book and I can't wait to put it in their hands. Listeners, I have been speaking with Bela Koch Crumpeter, author of Love, Death, and Photosynthesis, which is published by our friends at Don Giovanni Records. Bela, thank you so much for joining me. And thank, thank you, Jason, for, uh, again, your generous time and, and your compliments and really just taking the time to read the book. And um, it's, it's very humbling when somebody wants to do that and then they have a, a response to it. So I, I really appreciate it. I don't take that for granted. Absolutely. Thank you, Bela. Once again, I would like to thank Bela Co. Crumpeture for joining me. Copies of Love, Death, and Photosynthesis can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping from members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.